Hello, welcome to the Chief Disruptor podcast. My name is Gabriel O'Brien, researcher at Chief Disruptor. This series of podcasts highlights and explores the disruptive strategies, mindsets and technologies taking place across blue chip organisations, startups, scale ups and the public sector. On the podcast, I am joined by disruptors, innovators and change makers from across the Chief Disruptor community. This week, we've got something extra special for you. We are jumping into a discussion between our founder and managing director, Emma Taylor, and Dr. Candice Schaefer. Um, Candice was previously the global head of employee wellness at Twitter and is now head of employee health and performance at Spring Health. Candice has a unique perspective on workplace wellness programs as a licensed psychologist. She is also a highly sought after speaker and thought leader on the future of work. And she also spends much of her time sharing insights with both employees and employers. But before we jump into the discussion, I'm joined by my colleague, Tori Williams. Tori is our content and research manager here at Chief Disruptor, and she's been working on some of our recent editorial projects exploring this topic. Unfortunately, she's here to tell us a little bit more about what we have in store for you. So Tori, firstly, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, before we jump into the discussion, could you tell us a bit about why this is such an important topic right now? Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here uh, chatting with you today, Gabriel. So, of course, in recent years, we've seen a huge amount of discussion regarding the future of work. Uh, there have been major trends come and go, such as the great resignation and quiet quitting. And, of course, the ongoing debate on office versus home working. So to cut through the hype and to find out what the long lasting implications will be for technology and business leaders, we developed a series of in-depth interviews exploring this topic from a number of different vantage points. So we've spoken to CEOs and founders, working parents, diversity and inclusion advocates, uh, technology leaders, and uh, many others to gain a 360 view of the trends shaping flexible work. It sounds great. And I know um, I know a lot of people will be wanting to, to have a have a look at that content. So I'll make sure that we that we link it at the end of the end of the podcast. Um, but so, so in particular, why have you chosen this this interview from from the series today? So this is a really fascinating conversation that offers some unique insights into what it's like to work at one of the world's most notable tech giants, Twitter. So given the current news and media noise about the past, present and future of Twitter, and of course, its wider implications on the tech sector, it was really illuminating to hear Candice's account of her time at the company. Um, but, you know, beyond that, her experience and knowledge of strategies for building resilience, preventing burnout and improving the overall employee experience um, provides really valuable insights that all our members can, can take something away from, you know, regardless of um, job role, company um, or industry. Um, and I would say be sure to listen to the end because there is a very uh, fun and interesting quick fire round between Candice and Chief Disruptor Founder Emma Taylor uh, to finish off uh, the discussion. Great stuff. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to to sharing this with everyone. Um, it's obviously the first podcast episode for a while, so uh, I'm going to stop talking. And without further ado, let's hear from Candice and our founder, Emma. Candice, welcome. It's fantastic to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So we're going to start for part one, looking at the new world of work. As the global head of employee wellness at Twitter, you blazed a new path for employee wellness programming. What did this entail? 
Um, so it entailed a lot of different um, steps. I would say the first step, though, is assessing the organization. Um, and I think any kind of good wellness professional knows we can't always do the same cookie cutter uh, uh, programs for each organization. So it really is about coming in, um, especially in those first 90 days, and really um, trying to understand the organization and where its uh, challenges as well as its um, uh, strengths are. And um, then after you know doing that assessment, really kind of aligning with leaders and really um, thinking about what's going to be the most impactful work. Um, I, I hate to say it, but a lot of times wellness professionals are usually running short staffed or they have a, only a few people on the team. So you really have to think about what is the most impactful work that you can do throughout the year um, internally. And, and so for me, um, I had been at Twitter for about nine months and then 2020 pandemic hit. <laughs> and so any strategy that I had um, quickly had to shift to a remote base workforce, um, which fortunately we were making that move towards remote working um, over the past couple of years. And it was planned to be more of a three-year uh, strategy that we were going to move more fully remote. And it just happened right there in the course of three months. Um, but really focusing on um, virtual uh, programs, things that can get also our employees more connected now that there isn't the barrier of location per se. Um, maybe there is a barrier with the with time zone differences, but how can we even get our employees more connected through virtual means um, and offering that space? Um, and then finally, um, just in terms of um, creating that new path, um, I came into this as a psychologist, as a clinical psychologist, which I think is a little bit different, um, really trying to think about what programs make sense from a developmental perspective and really um, thinking about the, well, the, the health and well-being of um, our employees from, from that particular lens, I think has... Um, maybe challenge the way that uh, I think a lot of traditional well-being programs are done. And um, I didn't have a playbook. I wasn't taught in the traditional kind of well-being methodology. I just created interventions that made sense with, with what I was seeing um, in the organization. Thank you so much. So how did you adapt your approach to employee wellness after the requirements to work from home? actually really became mandatory what, what was it a very quick thing that you need to do in those three months how, how did you make that work I it was a combination of both um so I uh, I quickly got um a peer support program off the ground that was obviously going to be now all virtual and it would be no in person um which actually I think worked out for the better um it connected a lot of like I said our employees across different locations that maybe would not normally be in their local office and so you're expanding the amount of people that you can get connected with um Making the shift to virtual was a little bit more challenging. Um, I was used to teaching workshops in person and really um, getting to know employees in person. I had spent the first uh, my first two months at Twitter onboarding at headquarters in in San Francisco, um, and so having that in person feel was a little bit more challenging, but. Um, necessity is, is the mother of innovation. 
Uh, and so you really kind of learn what are ways that are engaging over time uh, of doing trainings uh, and really trying to make it feel more interactive, how many people you keep in the training, things like that. Um, and then really just trying to use remote, uh, being remote first as an advantage, not as a disadvantage. I think many employers came into the pandemic really like panicked, obviously, but also I can't see my employees in person. We don't have our in-person culture anymore. What is our culture then as a company? Um, and really thinking about your your reach, especially if you're a global company, which Twitter was, um, and really thinking about how do we make this engaging for everybody and give an equity to the employee experience? Because I think for the most part, um, employees had thought that the, the quarter the the company was headquartered in San Francisco. It was very San Francisco based. Um, that was the center of the universe, and everyone else works around the center of the universe. Um, and so, really being able to shift that mentality, I think, helped. But at the same time, over the course of the pandemic happening, you see a lot of new well-being issues pop out. Uh, for for example, I think loneliness was a really big one, um, especially for, um, we have a younger population um, of employees at Twitter that don't have families yet um, or are not married yet, don't live with anybody. Um, we're living in big cities uh, like New York, Tokyo, Singapore, um, that uh, space is very tight uh, where they were living. They were maybe living in a one bedroom apartment or a studio apartment and they were confined to that space 24 seven. Um, and there's a certain mental exhaustion that came with that um, in addition uh, to, to loneliness. Uh, so it was a lot of how can we create more social connection, social well-being, really putting that into focus. Um, and then looking at increased risk for burnout because we could not leave our houses what do we do with our boredom? And for a lot of people that was, I'll just keep working. Um, no, don't keep working. Uh, what, what could we do as a company then to provide more activities, more programs, things that helped promote uh, activities outside of work? And we certainly saw that too when we went into that really tough time in early 2020 members saying actually you've become a conduit for us to feel sort of sane to a certain extent um yeah. and really tough even sort of those that would have said you know I'm, I'm happy to take on anything suddenly feeling as you say very confined to the homes often in the big cities or very remote um you know out in the countryside wherever it may be and not feeling digitally enabled so some really testing times we've yeah. obviously been through one of the most profound switches in how we work in centuries. What do you think would be some of the key insights that you learned about employee wellness during this time beyond burnout, which is obviously such a fundamental aspect? I think um, what I have found most fascinating from a psychological perspective is seeing um, this is almost like a great pause where people were really able to step back and think about what role work plays in their life. 
And is it something that they want to continue doing or do they want to change things up or do something differently? Um, and so over the course of time since the pandemic, um, we've looked at global trends in employee engagement and it's gone down to a certain degree because people, I think, are coming to an understanding of, do I want work to be my everything? Um, and for a lot of people, it's no, I don't, I, I've been focusing too much on work and I really need to spend time on other things or spend time with my family, really trying to make sure that the correct priorities are, are in alignment with, with what you do every day. So I think that's probably one of the biggest insights that I've learned, but, but also the flexibility is way more important than, than anything. It can be even more important than compensation. I think for a long time, employers thought that the person who offers the most money to a candidate will win that candidate. Um, and the pandemic has come to show that even afterwards, when we've changed our ways of working, that people will oftentimes care far more about that than how much they're paid. Um, people really want autonomy, they want flexibility, and they want um, to work when it makes sense for them and where it makes sense for them. Um, and then finally, I'll just say like the shift of the importance to mental health um, has been accelerated times a thousand <laughs> since the pandemic. Um, and in a way, I'm grateful for that um, because I think mental health has not receive the attention that it should. Um, and while I hate to say that we needed an event like this to show its relevance and importance, I think it's getting a lot more attention. Employers are adding serious benefits that will help people get connected to therapists and, and also looking more on that proactive side. Thank you so much. And we see some really terrifying stats that we have all age groups when it comes to that and some very simple, serious implications for employees, their their friends, their families, and so on. It, it's, it's a very, very big concern and something we need to all try and address together. When when it comes to some other aspects, what, what would you say are the key factors that employers should keep in mind when developing a flexible working policy that can support and enhance employee well-being? Um, the first thing I would say is uh, don't think about it as a loss. Um, I think uh, employers were panicking at the beginning of the pandemic and, and throughout because they did not know um, what their employees were doing at all times of the day and how they were doing and um, were thinking about it more as a loss from their culture as well. And really to, to shift your focus and think about what are you hoping to gain from this? And for the most part, the research is coming in and saying that flexible working is allowing for greater productivity, um, better employee engagement, and also you're able to get better talent, talent that would not be in the area where you have your company located. Um, so really thinking about the advantages. And, and the second thing I'll say is to really think about when you're developing a flexible work policy to think about your employee value proposition. What are you providing to the employee as, as a company? What skills are you going to be giving long-term? And that's what employees are starting to think about as they select new jobs is what am I going to get in terms of meaning and purpose, skills, learning, um, and 
networking skills? What am I going to learn on this job that I can take with me to my next one and eventually along my longer career path? Um, so in that flexibility, you're going to, I think, gain a lot more opportunity. Um, and so what is the company willing to be flexible on? Um, and certain roles will probably be more flexible than others. Um, so just really in thinking about equitable experiences, but understanding um, and, and emphasizing with your employees that um, they won't be equal experiences, but our goal is to be equitable um, and kind of noting that difference. And that that's a tough one, isn't it, to get that right? It is. <laughs> um, so I'd love to delve into this with a link between employee well-being and productivity and flexibility. You brought some of those themes up already, but to really sort of bring that link of three together. In your current role, you're testing how to develop the most mentally healthy workplace on the planet. And what have you learned so far and how can employers put these learnings into practice? Yes, we are. I'm learning so, so much. And um, I would say the first thing is to make sure that you really define what mentally healthy means for your company. Um, if it's not well-defined, uh, employees can kind of impose their own interpretations of what that means and um, will kind of hold it against the company sometimes or challenge the company, which isn't a bad thing. But at the same point, we all have to be on the same page as to what the goal around being a mentally healthy company is. Um, and um, for some employees, I think that means that they'll have a stress-free stress -free workplace. Um, the nature of uh, a startup where I work uh, is probably not going to be stress-free. Um, so really kind of defining that and communicating that with employees as to what that means and, and how long that will take um, as well. We at, at Spring Health, we've learned that this is probably going to be a 10-year goal for us, if not longer than that, because to make such powerful shifts in a culture that's constantly changing um, the way a startup is, is um, uh, going to be like hitting a moving target. Uh, so we're hoping to refine those methods over time. Um, but within that definition that you create as company of, of what a mentally healthy company is, is to then use that definition to create metrics that are both effective and efficient. Um, so uh, we define a mentally healthy workplace as uh, one where individuals of all kinds can thrive. So what does thriving mean? We're really thinking about it as employees that are empowered, that are energized, and that are inspired. And so when we train our managers, we really look at how do we create environments that embody those three things and really encourage those behaviors in our employees. And we created an assessment that um, assesses managers and our senior leaders on that atmosphere. Are we creating that atmosphere for our employees? Um, and then lastly, um, I've learned it's, uh, and this is probably no surprise to anyone who works in corporate wellness out there, but to just really make sure that you're getting buy-in at all levels. This is not just my responsibility as the head of employee health performance. Um, I consider myself probably the person who's keeping the company accountable, as well as the long-term coach and guide of how we're going to implement a strategy around that. But it's really, really important that um, all of your senior leaders uh, from you know lower level to, to higher level at the CEO level really um, understands the importance of this and, and why we're doing this.
thank you so much. Employee well-being and productivity, obviously really significant aspects of an organization's success, happiness, so many other other components. How does employee well-being affect productivity? This is a really good question. Um, and I would say I'm going to use an analogy to talk about this one. And um, so when I first uh, went into graduate school to become a psychologist, I wanted to study uh, sports psychology, which is the study of how athletes um come to a peak performance state and how do we keep them there um and this is coming from that same perspective we need to start thinking about our employees almost in the same way we think about professional athletes um and how many people have told you that you know um soccer is a mental game tennis is a mental game it's it's all mental not really physical it's the same thing here. We're doing very uh, much of a mental performance. And in order to make sure that we can perform, there needs to be that foundational level of well-being practices so that you're not worried about, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am uh, there, Are things okay at home? Uh, things like that. Or did I get enough sleep today? Uh, those types of things are already taken care of, um, kind of like how we think about Maslow's hierarchy, where all those basic needs are met so that we can go to the peak performance state. It's a difficult one, isn't it? With, with more and more employees working from home and well-being being something that's increasingly important, but also being tested, what do you feel the small changes are that employees can make to improve their well-being and productivity when they do work from home? Would there be any sort of tips and tricks that you think could could help those employees? Um, there's a lot of things, and I, I hate to be overly prescriptive because each person is different. And um, so the best thing that I can say uh, to anyone out there is to experiment, to really try different things. If it's not, if something isn't working for you, mix it up. Um, for me, I can like, again, only speak to, to me is I really need a room where I do work like, and that door closes at the end of the day, um, on the weekends, I don't really do work in my house other than the room that I'm in right now. Um, and I notice that my mentality shifts uh, as well. Once I enter this room, I kind of go into that business mindset, maybe the same way that when you put on a uniform, uh, if you go to work um, or if you wear a badge um, for your name, it, it, it's the same thing. So that's that's one um, particular tip I would give. And, and the other thing that has been kind of like a constant um, learning curve for me is to think about uh, how to plan your days, um, especially now that we're working across multiple time zones um, and there's no one really here in the physical environment to prompt me to say, oh, it's time for lunch or, oh, um, it's time to, to go to this particular meeting. You're not really getting a sense of the day anymore to really thoughtfully plan out your days as to during, you know, nine to 11, I have focus time where I'm going to be working on deep work. And then from 11 to noon, I do lunch, noon to two o'clock, I do meetings. Um, so really just being thoughtful about that time that you're blocking off. Um, because what I think we're finding with stress levels is people are so much in back-to-back -back meetings 
that it's becoming, uh, you're becoming a slave to your schedule and you're not having any scheduled time to do the work that results from those meetings. <laughs> um, and so making sure that you block off focus time to do deep work or what we call flow. Um, so getting in the zone and really feeling like you're you're being productive and getting things done is super, super important. I couldn't agree more. We've just literally had that conversation. <laughs> Very easy, isn't it, for Mondays to become that meeting day and all <laughs> to the end of Monday and think, gosh, I'll spend the rest of the week doing flow work then. Um, <laughs> thank you. Part three of what I was really keen to chat to you about was the future of work and well-being. So Obviously, significant amount um, of press on this in terms of Twitter having new CEO Elon Musk and him recently telling executives that they could only work from home after completing 40 hours of work a week in the office. What's your view on this approach? 40 hours a week in an office before you can actually work from home? It's not for everybody, <laughs> to, to, to say the least. I think you're going to ultimately result in a company that is not as diverse as you need for innovation. Um, I think you're going to attract a certain kind of person. Um, and unfortunately, you're going to miss a lot of great talent um, because of the confines you're putting around that flexibility. And you have the competition of the job market itself. Other employers are far more willing to offer this. And so you're, again, like I said before, people care more now about flexibility sometimes than compensation. Um, and so who are you going to lose and are you willing to accept that loss um, based on this type of rule? And, and I also think a lot of people see uh, these rules where you have to be in the office X amount of days a week as a form of uh, an employer controlling them. And now that we've had this autonomy and you try to go back to uh, controlling your employees more, confining their autonomy, they're going to resist, they're going to get upset. Um, the one thing I learned by working in um, the benefits department is if you offer a benefit, never take it away because you will never hear the end of it. You can always give something, but if you take it away, uh, you're going to hear about it. Very good piece of advice. We're obviously in a really tough economic time, plenty of uncertainty economically. Investment into wellbeing programs can often be subject to cutbacks at that point. In what ways do you feel employees could can support remote workers in the ways that are effective and cost effective? And also, what role do you think technology plays in that? My thoughts on this is we are seeing kind of a, a steep economic downturn, and I think employers are being far more cautious and cutting budgets. Um, and so in that respect, we really have to make use of the resources that we have and really be strategic about it. Um, and so most, I think, employers do some form of a, an engagement survey with employees. And so being really strategic about the questions that you're asking um, and then what strategy you develop for 2023 based on how employees have responded to those questions and really thinking about cost and impact. Um, so there may be, you know, many low lift things that can be high impact. It doesn't necessarily have to be a huge expensive program um, that uh, you want to implement in order to make that impact. And I think that's where sometimes 
um, corporate wellness professionals can get kind of caught up in what vendor can I bring in to um, make everybody's pains go away. Um, it can also be grassroots driven self um, uh just really from within. Uh, it takes a little bit more effort <laughs> and it can be a, a few more sleepless nights because you're carrying that weight yourself. But I would say then if you are deciding to carry that weight to eliminate other programs that maybe do not have as high of impact and really thinking about prioritizing uh, what, what, what will get the most out of the resources that you have available. Thank you so much. Spring Health is a really interesting organization, recently named one of the best places to work in New York, and said to be at the center of building a human-centric future of work. It's a very big thing to have as a, a badge of development. How can employees emulate this, do you think? And what are the characteristics of working this way? Um, it requires, I think, a lot, a lot of listening uh, to your employees. Really, it's it's all about increasing two-way uh, communication, but more or less uh, am the senior leaders in the organization and the employer themselves really being uh, a good listening and thought partner to employees. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times both as a, as a former therapist, as well as working, um, as in, in the corporate world of how much validating somebody, uh, can, can go way, it can give you far more mileage than you ever thought possible. Um, and so starting from a point of really listening, understanding the concerns and uh, communicating with employees on how you plan on actioning those things, whether it may not be right now. I mean, we can't we can't prioritize everything at this moment, but really understanding that you've um, heard them and uh, want to push forward in thinking about how we can change uh, the current working conditions based on that feedback. And and the other thing I'll say too is uh, human centric. Uh, Future-focused work really involves um, thinking about how the employer can enhance the experience at the organization. I think um, previously, especially um, in tech, um, maybe five to five to six years ago, the emphasis was on who can have the best benefits package for all their employees. Um, and now recognizing again that's putting onus on the individual to use those benefits. Um, to maximize their well-being, and we're not looking at what the organization is doing as a whole uh, to relieve uh, stress points within the organization. Um, I think a big one in particular in tech companies, and um, Spring Health is, is no stranger to this, is tech debt, and really thinking about the infrastructures that you've created, uh, and now they need to be cleaned up. <laughs> Um, because things have changed, the the products that we've created um, since those infrastructures were built really need to be refined um, to make our employees' lives easier. And so it's not it's not sexy work um, to go back and fix infrastructure. Building new products is really way way more attractive. But at the same point, um, the the amount of ROI that you'll get in terms of employee satisfaction, decreased turnover. Um, and engagement will likely pay off far more than just building a new product. Thank you. Definitely something that strikes closer to home as well. <laughs> um, we're nearly out of time. Thank you so, so much for your insights. 
Before we finish up, though, I'd love to do a quick fire round. Um, I think you have so much experience and, and knowledge and things that you could be sharing. I'd love to understand what you think the trend is that is going to have the biggest impact on your business in 2023. I think the biggest trend is now going to shift from where we work to when we work. Um, and really thinking about what are people's optimal times for uh, when they're the most productive. Um, and it's different for everybody. Some people are night owls. Some people like working very early in the day. Um, so how can we accommodate those uh, those individuals? I love that one. That's brilliant. And certainly we've seen team members that have been on very different time zones over the years and so on. Sometimes they've really given that booster to the rest of us who then came online later. So there's all, as you say, it, we need to listen and learn and adapt to friends, families and other environments that we all have around our lives. So thank you. What would be your go to career advice? Um, try not to get too attached to one outcome. Uh, I think some people go into their careers wanting a specific position, a specific goal. Um, I, five years ago, if you would have told me I would be doing this, I, I would not have agreed with you in, in your, in my wildest dreams simply because I didn't know the position existed. Um, and so by not locking down on, I want to be ahead in this particular role in, in a certain organization, you're confining yourself to what, what you want in the end, and you're not leaving yourself open to other opportunities when those pop up. Um, so having a, having a, an idea of where you want to go, but not being locked in. I love that one. Um, form of communication, your go-to form of communication is it email, phone call, text message, team, Slack, something else. Um, it's usually Slack. Um, I like uh, being able to type texting on a phone is a little bit uh, more uh, heavy loading or heavy lifting for me. Um, so Slack being able to do GIFs and emojis and things like that. I love to try to insert nonverbal communication within a verbal communication. Um, and with all of your experience over the years, your work de-stressor. <laughs> my my husband will tell you um i have a hot tub that i have outside in my backyard i live in seattle um and so uh on heavy heavy days or um on fridays at five o'clock you will you will find me right in my hot tub with maybe a glass of a uh alcohol maybe or, or um, a favorite beverage of some kind just trying to relax and de-stress um, it's very uh, healing and therapeutic for me. I love that. That's wonderful. It doesn't really matter on the drink at that stage, does it? It's just being no. a different environment. No, that's wonderful. Thank you. It's been such a fascinating discussion. Really, really insightful. And also some real tips and tricks that I think others can learn from. But as you said, to be making those significant changes that you are on that 10-year plan says how significant it is and the changes we really have to embrace take on board and really go on that journey both culturally and individually so that brings us to the conclusion of another episode of the chief disruptor podcast a massive thanks to candice for sharing her insights on the future of work with us and of course to emma and tori from the team as mentioned in the intro if you're interested in finding out more about our series on the future of work then please visit our website chiefdisruptor.com alternatively click through on the link in the podcast description Whilst you're there, you might as well join our growing community of disruptive business technology leaders by clicking the little blue membership square in the top right of our website. 
Thanks again for listening and I look forward to having you along next time.